horrifying conditions at the southern border as photographs of border cops using what look like whips on migrants shocks the world. Biden tells the United Nations he'll avoid a new Cold War with China and a new governor's change of style. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Tuesday, September 21st, 2021, last day of summer. Photos and video of a Border Patrol agent on horseback using his long leather reins to lash at Haitian migrants along the U.S.-Mexico border prompted expressions of outrage today from Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. I was horrified to see the images, and we look forward to learning the facts that are adduced from the investigation, and we will take actions that those facts compel. We do not tolerate any mistreatment or abuse of a migrant, period. I also want to say, and I think it's very important to say, that I saw two other powerful things yesterday when I was there under the bridge in Del Rio. Number one, I saw the acute vulnerability of the Haitian population, the predominantly Haitian population, and I cannot overstate how difficult that is uh, to see. We are speaking about vulnerable uh, individuals in um, uh, tragic circumstances. I also saw the extraordinary work of U.S. Customs and Border Protection, not only the United States Border Patrol, but its Office of Field Operations. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, a video shows an officer on horseback wielding what the Border Patrol is calling the reins of the agent's horse. As the images show a migrant trying to dodge the blow, the uh, reins look very much like a whip. Criticism was withering from members of Congress, including Representative Benny Thompson, a Mississippi Democrat, who is chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee. He called on Mayorkas to take immediate action to hold those responsible accountable. And at Grand Army Plaza in Brooklyn, near the home of uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, protests organized by Haitian activists is demanding humanitarian aid for Haitian families and humanitarian parole. Haitian human rights activist in New York, Dahoud Andre, welcome to WBAI. How are you, Paul? Greetings to the BAI audience. This is Dahoud Andre. We're here on Eastern Parkway and Flatbush, Grand Army Plaza. And uh, the, we've been here 3 to 6 p.m. And four organizations called the protest today. That's Komokoda, the Committee to Mobilize Against Dictatorship in Haiti, the uh, Haitian Women for Haitian Refugees, Slumwire Haitian Literacy Project, and the UNIA, Universal Negro Improvement Association. We were here on Eastern Parkway at Grand Army Plaza, very visible spot in Brooklyn, which is home to a very large Haitian community in the United States, in New York City, to first denounce the Biden administration as a racist administration, to say that the images that we're seeing from the Del Rio border, this is reminiscent of slavery and to say that uh, all people of conscience in the United States should stand against this. And we are very happy. We had not just Haitians. We had just about everyone here in this uh, protest today. And the second part of the reason we're here was to send a message to our family under the bridge there, immigrants from all over, from Africa, immigrants from 
in Latin America, and of course, a lot of immigrants from Haiti, refugees, to say that they are not alone, that there are people who are concerned about them, and there are people who are fighting so that the United States will let them inside this country. Our position is that we want a general amnesty for everyone who's here and for the people who are on the border. We believe they should be let into the country. Dahoud, what is the what is causing so many Haitian people right now to come to America and how to the United States southern border is what I mean. And to uh, uh, at that southern border, uh, how do they get from Haiti to the to Mexico to the southern border in their thousands? What is happening that is making people take such a, 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 a dangerous journey? Uh, well, Paul, the problem is the people are not coming right now. There are some people uh, who are coming from Brazil. They've been in Brazil since after the earthquake, when there was a, a World Cup being organized in Brazil. Brazil needed some cheap labor. Please talk directly come. into your telephone. Sorry to... Yeah. Okay, I'm saying that That's good. a lot of the people have been out of Haiti since after the earthquake. Brazil had offered entry to get cheap labor to build soccer stadiums to their World Cup. And, of course, after that, when Brazil didn't need them anymore, everything changed over there. So they were in Brazil, but they're looking for a way to get out of the Brazil to come to the United States. The same with Chile that had offered that Haitians can come for a certain amount of time without a visa. And a lot of Haitians traveled to Chile, eh, well, to look for a better life for the same reason that, you know, the original immigrants that came here did, you know, when they came, what they called pilgrim, whatever they called them, and for the same reasons that all the immigrants listening to me right now in New York City are here. Yeah. And can I ask you, just to start wrapping up, this is a, a great talk and we should go longer sometime. Uh, Dahoud Andre, uh, anyway. could you tell us what you think of this image of a horse's reins, now they're calling yeah, it, that people is. said looked like a whip? I mean, what do you think of the treatment of people at the border with these cops on horseback well, we using we reins on people? Do you fall for what's that? The, what's the difference between the rein of a horse and a whip, you know? Uh, can they not be used for the same thing? And I think what the, the U.S. government is trying to do right now is to tell people uh, they have a PR campaign to tell, uh, you know, let people what you're seeing is not what you're seeing. What yeah. we saw there is slavery, images from slavery, the slave catchers. That's what a lot of our signs on Guanami Plaza today said. The U.S. Border Patrol are the slave catchers. And when you look at that image, you look at that video, this is what you see. So uh, thank you. And uh, also we want to let folks know that uh, Saturdays 4 to 6 p.m., please tune in on BAI for our Haiti, our Revolution Continues, which is a radio program that we host where we'll have a lot more information about this issue. Thank you. Very good. Paul.
Thank you very much, Andre. Uh, Dahoud Andre is a Haitian human rights activist in New York. He joins us from Brooklyn, where Haitian people and their supporters are demanding aid for Haitian families trapped on the U.S. southern border. Speaking from Del Rio on Monday, Mayorkas warned Haitians not to come to the U.S., noting that a temporary extension and protections from deportations for Haitians was extended through July 29th. Those protections no longer apply to new migrants. He said, if you come to the United States illegally, you will be returned. Your journey will not succeed and you will be endangering your life and your family's life. And that seems to be playing out at the border as we speak. President Joe Biden spoke before the United Nations General Assembly today. He called on the world's nations to address global issues of the COVID-19 pandemic, climate change and human rights abuses. It was his first address to the world body. He decried military conflict and insisted the United States is not seeking a new Cold War with China without mentioning the rival nation's name. We're not seeking. Say it again. We are not seeking a new Cold War or a world divided into rigid blocks. The United States is ready to work with any nation that steps up and pursues peaceful resolution to shared challenges, even if we have intense disagreements in other areas. Because we'll all suffer the consequences of our failure if we do not come together to address the urgent threats like COVID-19 and climate change or enduring threats like nuclear proliferation. Biden then reiterated his support for Israel while calling again for a two-state solution to the conflict with Palestine and a broader call for human rights. The commitment of the United States to Israel's security is without question. And our support for an independent Jewish state is unequivocal. But I continue to believe that a two-state solution is the best way to ensure Israel's future as a Jewish democratic state, living in peace alongside a viable, sovereign and democratic Palestinian state. We're a long way from that goal at this moment, but we must never allow ourselves to give up on the possibility of progress. We cannot give up on solving raging civil conflicts, including in Ethiopia and Yemen, where fighting between warring parties is driving famine, heroic, horrific violence, human rights violations against civilians, including and consummal use of rape as a weapon of war. As we pursue diplomacy across the board, the United States will champion the democratic values that go to the very heart of who we are as a nation and a people. Freedom, equality, opportunity, and a belief in the universal rights of all people. It's stamped into our DNA as a nation, and critically, it's stamped into the DNA of this institution, the United States. And I believe the president meant the United Nations. Biden added the United States is ready to rejoin the nuclear deal with Iran and work to eliminate nuclear weapons from Korea. The United States remains committed to preventing, to preventing Iran from gaining a nuclear weapon. We're working with the P5 plus one to engage Iran diplomatically and to seek a return to JCPOA. We're prepared to return to full compliance if Iran does the same. Similarly, we seek serious and sustained diplomacy to pursue the complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. We seek concrete progress 
toward an available plan with tangible commitments that would increase stability on the peninsula and in the region, as well as improve the lives of the people in the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Biden also said the world body should direct aid to Afghanistan only if the Taliban follows through on its promises for a more inclusive society. But he says the U.S. is ready to use technology to fight terror. And the United States is not the same country we were when we were attacked on 9-11 20 years ago. Today, we're better equipped to detect and prevent terrorist threats. And we are more resilient in our ability to repel them and to respond, including working in cooperation with local partners so that we need not be so reliant on large-scale military deployments. One of the most important ways we can effectively enhance security and reduce violence is by seeking to improve the lives of the people all over the world who see that their governments are not serving their needs. President Joe Biden addressing the General Assembly of the United Nations today. House Democrats today, meanwhile, introduced the Protecting Our Democracy Act, a package of proposed new limits on executive power. Gerald Nadler described the law and its ramifications today, together with Carolyn Maloney of the House Oversight Committee and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, among others. Justice Department policy holds that a sitting president cannot be prosecuted, no matter how serious the crimes he or she may have committed. And when the president leaves office, particularly if he, has ser- he or she has served two terms, in many cases the statute of limitations will have run on their crimes and they will be immune from prosecution. In effect, this policy has turned the presidency into a get-out-of-jail-free card. Another vital provision in this bill would strengthen Congress's ability to enforce its subpoenas. Today, the administration intent on stonewalling Congress can be rewarded by a cumbersome court process that enables the administration to simply run out the clock and to avoid any meaningful oversight. This is an invitation to unchecked executive power and abuse. When the administrator of the General Services Administration outrageously refused to grant the Biden-Harris transition team access to critical services and millions of dollars in funding following the election, Administrator Emily Murphy finally relented after I, along with uh, a former committee chairwoman, Nita Lowy, and several of my colleagues standing here today, sent a letter objecting to her holding up the transition and demanding a briefing. Under the Efficient Transition Act, if the GSA administrator failed to take the required step of ascertaining the winner of a presidential election within five days of the election, Each eligible presidential candidate and vice presidential candidate would be treated as the winner until ascertainment is made or a winner is certified by Congress. And I would yield to Madam Speaker. We have to turn it into law so that no president of whatever party can ever assume that he or she has the power to usurp the power of the other branches of government. Being Italian-American, we take special ownership of the separation of power because we think it was inspired an inspiration to Thomas Jefferson when he visited Italy when he was in, an ambassador in Europe. So, Chairman Adam Schiff. Do you think that this can pass the Senate or the filibuster requires 10 Republican votes to pass legislation? 
I realize that many of the Republican members live in fear of angry statements from the former president. When we introduced this bill last session, certainly chilled Republicans from supporting it. I would hope that now that that administration has receded into the past, Republican members will recognize, as Democrats do, that it shouldn't matter who the president of the United States is. House Intelligence Committee Chair Adam Schiff, the Protecting Our Democracy Act is expected to face headwinds in the Senate where it would need the support of at least 10 Republicans to bring it to a vote. Their supporters say the package is likely to be broken into pieces that will be attached to other bills. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. This is Climate Week, and today Governor Kathy Hochul announced a historic new effort to monitor air quality in disadvantaged communities across the state and use the data collected to develop strategies to reduce pollution in these communities. Linda Perry reports. The approach New York's new governor, Kathy Hochul, takes is so different from former Governor Andrew Cuomo. There's her experience around the state, speaking to residents and bonding with local leaders. And she prefaces her remarks at news conferences with her experiences growing up in Buffalo. Last week, before signing the Less is More Act, which improves justice and safety in city jails, including at Rikers and Rosie's, she spoke about watching the horrors of Attica 50 years ago, which made criminal justice reform an issue close to her heart. For her talk today on Climate Week, she spoke about the immediacy of the climate threat and the need for infrastructure resiliency, as well as what she saw walking the streets of Elmhurst after the flooding. But first, she talked about growing up in Lackawanna, Buffalo. Have you ever seen Lackawanna, New York? Did you ever see it years ago when it was basically an environmental cesspool? That's where I'm from. It's my hometown. I was born in Lackawanna. And my parents lived in a trailer park in the shadow of the steel plant that by day was discharging the most ominous fumes and clouds of orange smoke. And you couldn't breathe. I mean, as a child, we'd be going to play in a playground there. And it was just uh, horrific. And no one thought, it was not, everyone thought the sky is supposed to be orange. That's the color of the sky, right? Well, that was the pollution out of the steel plant. And then what do we do for fun when you don't have a lot of money? You go swimming in the lake, Lake Erie, the largest, one of the largest freshwater bodies, water on the earth. And um, we watched Bethlehem Steel dump slack into it every single day. No one realized that we were witnessing an environmental apocalypse. But not to be outdone, just down the road was Love Canal. So I grew up uh, seared with the knowledge that people's lives are so adversely affected from having to live in that environment, but also the health effects. Uh, quite extraordinary. And I'm just lucky to be alive today sometimes when I think about what we went through as children and did not know how bad it was. So that's why I'm an environmental activist. Uh, how could I not be? To deal with dirty air, Governor Hochul announced a new state air monitoring initiative in communities overburdened by pollution, including greenhouse gases, which contribute to climate change. Ten disadvantaged communities will be targeted, with funds going to environmental justice organizations to ensure local input and participation. Eddie Bautista is executive director at the New York City Environmental Justice Alliance. He said communities throughout the city are plagued by asthma and other chronic health issues from air pollution that contributes to social 
social and economic disparities and negatively affects their collective ability to thrive. He applauds Governor Hochul's new air monitoring initiative. It's the first of its kind in the U.S. Hochul also announced two proposals chosen to replace old fossil fuel plants. One brings hydroelectric power from Canada and the other wind and solar from Delaware County. In addition, as key to climate resilience, she's allocating $600 million to improve infrastructure across the state. She says she's impatient. Climate change is affecting us daily, and we need to act right now. Linda Perry, WBAI News, New York. Thanks, Linda. And Mayor Bill de Blasio announced changes to how Rikers Island Prison will process new inmates and screen them for health issues today. He's responding to the recent death of a prisoner who spent 10 days in an intake facility. This year has seen 11 inmates' deaths at the complex, including five by suicide. De Blasio says the prison would add two additional intake clinics and one more housing unit to ensure that all detainees and inmates go through intake within 24 hours. And finally, earlier today, a group of Democrats introduced the bill that would reinstate a federal eviction moratorium as the Delta variant of the coronavirus fuels outbreaks nationwide. The legislation led by Representative Cory Bush of Missouri and Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts would give the Department of Health and Human Services permanent authority to enact an eviction ban during public health crises. Representative Cory Bush, who herself as a single mother was evicted three times, spoke first. When I saw the eviction notice posted on my own door, the fear that comes with not knowing how I would be able to keep my children safe, keep a roof over our heads or keep a job. I experienced violence and trauma all three times that I was evicted. I know firsthand what that disruption of peace feels like. When I left my last home, when I was evicted, I couldn't take my furniture. When I move in, do I have a pillow? Do I have a Blankets. Now I have to purchase all of those things over again. It's a disruption of your peace that continues on and on and on. My dear friend, Senator Elizabeth Warren. Congress and President Biden worked hard to protect people from being thrown out of their homes. We did this because it is the right thing to do and it is the safe thing to do. Forcing tens of thousands of people out of their homes will only make this public health crisis worse. As Delta surges, we must act. 7.7 million renters report being behind on their rent. That is nearly 14% of all adult renters. And people of color, nearly one quarter of black renters report being behind on rental payments. Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. Ayanna? The extremism of this court has proven that they are not on the side of the people, and in fact, they are the absence of justice. One of our colleagues across the aisle said, the pandemic is virtually over. It is far from over, and we still need measures to keep safe our families and our communities. Eviction puts folks in harm's way, plain and simple. And as a result of eviction, many families are forced to move into crowded hotels or shelters or onto their neighbor's couch where they are no longer able to socially distance. It led to 433,000 preventable cases of COVID-19 and more than 10,000 preventable deaths. 
We have lost more than 10,000 people that could be with us only if they had remained safely housed. Our loved ones, our neighbors, our friends. Senator Ed Markey. The people are not responsible for the failures of their government. There is no moratorium on the coronavirus. There is no moratorium on November arriving in five weeks. There has to be a moratorium on evictions in our country to protect those innocent families. New York is also out here tonight. We don't speak about these issues because we have been taught that an eviction notice at our door or turning on the lights when they're off is a result of an individual shortcoming. When we're talking about one in six renters in this country facing the street, 11 million people in the United States, that's more than the entire population of New York City being evicted overnight, that is not an individual shortcoming, that is a systemic failure. People who are facing eviction are employed, but we live in a country where minimum wage does not pay rent in a single state in the United States of America. Telling someone to get a job when they're about to be evicted is is to communicate that you're not living in this country at this time. Congressman Mondaire Jones. In the world's richest nation, no one should have to experience housing insecurity. The housing crisis is a policy choice, and all of us ran to make better, more empathetic policy choices. We must do everything that we can to keep people safe, especially in communities of color, which are being most impacted. And we can afford to do that. When the Supreme Court struck down the moratorium put in place by the Biden administration last month, the majority opinion contended the agency lacked the power to implement it. And that's some of the news for Tuesday, September 21st, 2021. The news produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.